now to the Word that you would open it up to us. Teach us, Father, so that when we leave here today, we leave different than we were when we came in. Father, may that be the case for all of us, myself included, that you would change us through the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? You ever feel like you've lost control of your life? Um, Maybe you're not the person that you thought you would be at this point in your life. You can think back years ago when you made commitments to the Lord to be faithful and to walk with Him and to obey Him, and you were excited about your faith, but something happened over the years. And now you're about as far from it as you can possibly be. You're entangled in old bad habits again. You're doing things you promised God you wouldn't ever do again. And yet you find yourself in a struggle to try to get back to the person that you used to be and all the while living like somebody that you do not want to be. So the question then becomes, how do I get back? How do I get back there? How do I get back to where I used to be? How do I regain control over myself? How do I bring my life back into harmony with what God wants me to be like? Well, today we're going to try to answer that question. We're going to try to deal with that. Um, I'm not real big on formulas, but the way the Scripture unfolds in this passage, what you have is more or less a formula. You have a step-by-step sort of uh, formula that if you follow, it will help you to regain control over your life again. Now, like I said, I'm not big on formulas, but this is the way it is written in the Scriptures. And what I'm going to share with you today are things that you can take and apply to any area of your life. Um, Anything that you're struggling with, you can begin to think through, how can I apply this teaching to that situation? And what you'll find is that with time and continued obedience to this, that you're going to change, and you may not even recognize it. Um, Ronnie was talking about Robert, who just sang the special, and, you know, what he said is so true. Robert and I were in a uh, little small Bible study or Sunday school class that I did and had Robert and his wife and some others in there, and I appreciated so much Robert because he was very honest about his struggle with his faith. And uh, the song, I was look at, looking at the words of the song that he wrote and how that this is so true of him. He's pouring out his heart of trying to struggle with the past and understanding that God has forgiven him and understanding what grace is. And this is true of a lot of us. We, we allow our past to creep in and become our present again. And um, we, that raises all kinds of questions and uncertainties about who we are and whether God still loves us and so forth. But I told you last week, and I tell you most every Sunday, that there's nothing that you can do that can ever separate you from the love of God, that God's grace covers sin. God's grace covers your failures. Uh, this is hard for us to believe because everything that we've been taught in life has told us that you earn those things. And this is the struggle. And, <laughs> excuse me. Some of you may be struggling with that today. You look at who you are today, what your, look, what your life looks like and how you're behaving, and you are thinking to yourself all kinds of things about your relationship to the Lord and maybe God has stopped loving you. Well, I assure you that God has not. And what I'm going to share with you today is hopefully something that you can take from here today. You can begin to work it in your life and you can begin to see change. 
And so just follow along with me as I go through this today. If you'll recall last week, now we've been studying in this uh, study of Ephesians. Last week we were talking about how that Paul was dealing with Christians who were living like unbelievers. And that's hard for us to imagine because we've always been taught that when you become a Christian, you live a certain way and God is going to carry you through and you're never going to struggle with those old sins again. And what a disservice we have done to people by teaching that. Because you know what? That's not true. Because we as Christians struggle. And you can have the theology, the belief that somehow as a believer you have victory over sin. You have victory over sin in your relationship to God. But victory over sin on a day-to-day basis and the way that you live life is a day-to-day battle in a day-to-day conflict that you have to gain victory over. And that's the part that we leave out sometimes. I think that's the part that we don't talk about. We equate everything to salvation. If you do this, you're going to hell. Well, that's not really what the Bible teaches. And so as we look at this today, and it's kind of piggybacking on what we talked about last week, Paul says to these people in Ephesus, you know, you've got to stop acting like unbelievers because that's exactly what they they were doing. And you're going to see that very clearly today in this passage that we're going to be looking at. And what we looked at last week is Paul basically saying to these people, stop it, just stop it, and stop living that way. And today we're going to talk about how to do it. I apologize up front, okay, because this is going to sound so simple and easy, but it's really not, okay? You can't give three steps to victory in in Christian life and, and then you don't have any more problems because that's not the case. You will have problems, and it will be a struggle. And as I told you last week, it always comes down to choices that you make. And every day we have to live with those choices. We have to face those choices. But what I'm giving you, at least, is a framework that if you can begin to follow along and do what God is telling us to do here you will begin to see victory. You will begin to see change in your life. And you may not be able to see it all at once, but other people will, I promise you. Let's jump in here, okay? Let me read for you in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24, we're going to begin with. It says here, talking, we actually read these, these two verses, the first two verses I ended with last week. So let me pick up there. He says, that, however, talking about the way they're living, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And we talked about this last week. This is not how you were taught, he says, but you're living differently. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Three things that are in there. I call them steps. You can call them whatever you want to. But there are three points in that passage that I want to bring out that's going to form a kind of a formula. Okay? Step by step. Now here's the first one that I want to bring out. Because this is how you get to where you want to be. It begins with changing your mind. That's number one. You have to change the way you think. Look with me in verse 23. He says to be made new in the attitude of your minds. You've got to begin to think differently. 
about everything in life. And this is something that is hard to do because sometimes we want to push it away and we don't want to think about ourselves. We don't want to look at ourselves. We don't want to think about our failures. But you've got to do it. And you've got to begin to see that any change, if it's going to last, has got to begin with a change in your attitude and the way you think. Because you have conditioned yourself over the years to think a certain way that is contrary to the Bible. And so now this is going to take some effort. It doesn't happen overnight. But you have got to begin to bring your thinking in line with what the Bible says. You change the way you think in order to change the way you live. That's the Scripture tells us that over and over again. There's a passage in Proverbs that says, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. You begin to think a certain way, think uh, according to the culture, for example, and what you see on TV, it won't be too long before you begin to act that way because you are what you think. But if you begin to think godly and begin to think what the Lord would want and to think in relationship to how God would want you to live, then you begin very slowly but surely to act a certain way. And that is so important. Paul said this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, how am I going to be transformed as a believer? See, we think, and this is the mistake we make, we think that we are automatically transformed. And you're not. You are automatically saved. You're automatically redeemed. You're automatically sealed with the Spirit and given the power that you need that is necessary in life to pull off what we're talking about today. But the transformation always comes back to choices. This is the reason why Paul is challenging you to make choices. Why do people decide to change? What motivates a person, a Christian, who's living at times like they shouldn't be, how, what would motivate them to change? Well, there's a, any number of things. I've got three here that I've written down. You may think of some more, but any number of things that would cause you to want to change. Here's, a, here's the first one, I believe, and that is an encounter with God. You know, you begin to read the Bible and you see and you're broken because you see what God has said to you. And this is the way you ought to be living. And you haven't been. You come to a church service and hear the message and God through His Holy Spirit speaks to you and that's an encounter that you have had with God. God through His Spirit convicts you and challenges you to make the changes. That's one reason why we do that. Here's another reason why we change and that is we are chastened by God. That's one we don't like to think about. Sometimes we just call it consequences because we don't really know why it's happening, whether it's God doing it or whatever. But here's an interesting thought, okay? You go back in the Old Testament, and what you'll see is this, that when God was dealing with Israel, He always blessed them when they obeyed Him and walked with Him and so forth. And when they were disobedient and revolting against Him and rebellious and their hearts were in another place, you know what He did? He just pulled back His protection. And all kinds of things happened to them because they were the natural consequences of what they had done. A lot of times that's the way it is with us. You can't separate consequences from God's chastening because you don't know what the motivation is, what brought that on. 
But God allows us to go through the pain and suffering of our choices in order to bring about a change. And so that would be another reason we change. Another reason would be this, that we're just sick and tired of that way of life. We're just tired. And maybe that's where you are today. You know, you, you look at your life and you think what you used to be like and what things were like. And, and you see your life today and you think, I'm just sick and tired of living this way. And so you begin to make some decisions and you begin to make some changes. So in every transformation in the life of the believer that takes place, it always begins with a change of your mind, the way you think, your values, and the decisions that you make. But now let's get down to the nitty-gritty, because after that, you've got to put some meat to it. You've got to put some flesh to it. And here's what God tells you to do. You've got to put off the sinful behavior. You've been, dis- the, you've been convinced that it's wrong. You see it. You've, the Spirit of God has convicted you. You know it in your heart. But you have to take the step to, to walk away from it. And watch what he says here in verse 22. He says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now, what is he saying? What is he talking about putting off? Very simple. The the way you're living, he says, put it off. Get rid of it. Just stop it. Just don't live that way. You're making excuses for yourself. You know, I've been in ministry a lot of years. I've been in several different churches. And I've heard about every excuse that I guesses out there i don't know i can't do that pastor i've tried it just doesn't work for me it works for everybody else but it just doesn't work for me somehow i'm different yeah you're just flat disobedient you know don't tell me it doesn't work for you but pastor you got to understand something i have a reason or an excuse for behaving the way that i do i am damaged i was assaulted i was abused as a child i was uh I was beaten as a, as a woman, as a wife. My husband beat me. Uh, we were terrorized. Look, I know all of that, and, and my heart goes out to you. But show me in the Scripture where it says that somehow you are not accountable any longer. You see, drug addicts do this all the time, don't they? Alcoholics. We make excuses for everything that we do. If somehow I'm not accountable, I'm off the hook, I'm excused because of what happened. God says, no, I acknowledge what happened, and I'll deal with that, and we can help you to be healed, but uh uh-uh, you don't get a free pass on this. How many times in the New Testament are we simply told, just stop it, don't do it? And we always try to make those excuses and and finagle around it, but we, we can't get around it. God said, just don't do it. And so you can... Say what you want, but you've got to change the way you think about this and the way you think about God in this whole process. And you've got to begin to see the value of living life God's way. Because once I see that, you see, then the very next step is, okay, I've got to make some changes. So I look at my life and I see the things that I'm doing and I'm ashamed of them. And I know that I need to stop. In Bible, the Bible says you just... Do it, because God has given you the power to do it. You see, this is the part we don't understand. You are without excuse because God said, I have given you my Holy Spirit living inside of you as a believer and dwelt by God, sealed with the Spirit. You have the power to live 
a righteous life because I have given it to you. But see, we want to make excuses. Now listen to me very carefully because most sermons would stop right there. Most sermons that you hear from the pulpit would stop with, hey, look, you're misbehaving, just stop it. Don't do that. Thou shalt not. And if you do, you might be in real trouble. You might end up going to hell if you do. Because you see, a lot of preachers, that's their instrument to bludgeon you over the head with. The fear of being lost once you're a Christian. Because if you do that, God may not accept you anymore. And through this whole message, I want you to understand very carefully that God accepts you, not because of how you act. If that was the case, we'd all be left left behind to start with, wouldn't we? God accepts you because of His Son. He sees you in Christ. That's the reason you're accepted. So just forget all about this, will God accept me or will God not? God has already accepted you in His Son. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that is God's gift to you. It is salvation. It is free. Don't let anybody ever steal that from you or that, or that understanding or that confidence. But God says to you and me, I created you in Christ Jesus to do something. To be transformed, to be different, to walk with me, to love me and to serve me. And God says, I'm not going to allow you, the one for whom I have died, to live in rebellion. So folks, this is it's serious that we understand that God deals with his people and sometimes that's harsh. And that we have a responsibility. But here's the beauty of this. Because God doesn't stop with just telling you not to do it. Now he tells you what to do to make it happen. And this is the third point. See, not only do you put off the sinful behavior, but you're going to have to replace it with new behavior. You're going to have to put on something. Put on the new behavior, he says. Now watch this very carefully. And don't miss this, all right? In verse 24... He goes on to say, he says, and now to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, he's saying to you and me that I have created now this new person that I want you to rise to the occasion to be like. I want you to rise to the occasion now and live like this person, not like what you have been before in the past. So it means that we're going to replace sinful behavior with righteous behavior. See, this is a concept that we just sometimes overlook. We don't understand. We have been conditioned to think that we live righteously to make God happy. God says you live righteously in order to maintain what I have said you are. You're, in other words, I want you to live a certain way. I want you to experience blessing in this life. I want you to be a witness for me. And just not sinning doesn't cut it. Now listen to me very carefully, okay? There's a passage. Um, it's in Luke, I think. And, here, and the passage goes like this. Jesus is talking, and he says to the, I guess it was the disciples that he was talking to. I don't remember the context. But he says, look, he said, there was a man who, this, who uh, God cast out an evil spirit. And the evil spirit, the Bible says, wandered through an arid land. And he made a decision. The evil spirit decided, I think I'll go back to where I used to live in, in that man. 
And the Bible says that he took seven other evil spirits with him, and he went back to the man, and he found it the same as he left it. It was empty. So he said, I'll just go back. And he took seven spirits with him, and he says the end result was worse for the man than before. All right. Now, the application of that is, is broad. You could, be t- you, know, you could talk about evil spirits literally, and which is what he was talking about. But think about this. There's a principle there. That if some void isn't filled with something you're going to revert back to the way you were. You understand that? So I'll make a decision in my life that I'm going to live a certain way and I'm going to give up now this sinful behavior that God tells me I've got to give up and I'm going to start to try to be a better person. But what I don't understand is this, that if I don't replace this void in my life with godly behavior and learn new habits. It's only a matter of time that I revert back to what I'm familiar with. And see, this is what Christians do all the time. Oh, pastor, I tried that. I mean, I tried, I gave it up, but Lord, I, it just couldn't, it didn't stick. Lord, I had to, it just got control of me. You know, we make all kinds of excuses. So the teaching here is very simple, that I begin with a change of heart and mind, that I don't want this anymore. I see what I'm doing, and God has convicted me. I've got to change. I'm not going to try to change. I'm changing. All right? That's the difference. You're convinced of it. Okay, I see the things in my life that I need to get rid of. So I rip those things from my life. And let me tell you something, if these particular activities have been a part of your life for very long, it is going to be difficult for you to put them down. You'll want to pick them back up. You'll want to go back to them. God says, no, no, no. But then God says this. He says, now wait a minute, because there's this big void in your life, and if all you do is just drop the bad things, you're going to eventually go back to them. So let's replace them with something. Let's put on something. Let's make some changes that fill the voids. What about some new habits? Okay, that sounds good. Let's make up or deal with some new habits, do some things that are going to get you to living differently. Let's see what happens. Now, the rest of this passage are examples of that. Five examples of putting off the old and putting on the new. Putting off the sinful and putting on the righteous. This is something that you and I can do if we just understand the importance of it. To not just stop sinning, but to begin living righteously. Let's read through these and look at these examples. Here's the first example. It deals with the sin of lying. Watch. It's in chapter 4, verse 25 of Ephesians. All these are in Ephesians. Chapter 4, verse 25. He says this. He says, therefore, he said, I've told you what to do. Now, here's an example. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, in that one verse, there's something you're told to put off. There's something you're told to put on. Now, watch it. You put off falsehood, lying. 
Now remember, these are Christians, guys. Okay? These are Christians. As I told you last week, they've been, the church has been established for at least 10 years by now. When Paul writes this, he says, some of you are lying. So first, you put it off. You stop it. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to lie. So what are you going to do to fill the void? How are you going to learn a new behavior? What, what, what new habit are you going to establish? Paul says, then why don't you get into the practice of always being truthful no matter what? Ooh. See, it's one thing not to lie to you. It's another thing to be truthful. You see, we, we back off from telling the truth in so many different ways. We'll shade the truth. We'll tell little white lies. We uh, will blatantly tell a, a lie. Or we just clam up and don't say anything. You see, this is the big one in marriage. Now think about this, okay? It's easier for us to clam up and not deal with issues in marriage and not be truthful. Well, at least I didn't lie. That's fine. That's good. But were you truthful? And those little things just grow into something terribly big. Guys, when your wife comes in, she says, does this dress make my rear end look big? You can't plead the fifth. She's asking for your help. Help me dress in a way that makes me look good. You can tell her, yeah, you look great, honey, all the time. You're saying, oh, no, no, no. Well, is that fair to her? See, you're getting into the habit of lying again. Sounds simple, sounds little. But what if you could begin to tell the truth and do it in love? To say, sweetie, if I were you, I wouldn't wear that one. That just doesn't flatter you. That doesn't make you look good. In love, you see, you're telling the truth. What if you as a believer would make a commitment that I'm going to be truthful in every situation? Now, see, sometimes we're afraid of the truth because we think it's going to hurt other people. And usually it's not the truth that hurts them. It's the way we said it. See? And this is the reason why in the Bible we're told to tell the truth in love. That's all the difference, you see. I can tell you the truth in, in love, in a loving manner, because I care about you and want the best for you. Now, just think if husbands and wives would do that. Man, just think of the change it would make in marriage if you just were truthful with each other and helped each other. Now, see, when I asked Deborah that question, Deborah didn't have any trouble at all being honest. But I depend on her for that, you see. She's very honest. She said, I wouldn't wear that. And I said, okay. So if you don't like what I'm wearing, it's Deborah's fault. <laughs> see, that's the beauty of that thing. <coughs> but anyway, lying... You've got to replace, you can't just not lie, you've got to begin to be, get into the habit of being truthful. If you are making a commitment to be truthful, you won't have to worry about lying. See? Alright. Here's the second one. Anger. Now, this is a good one. Alright, watch the verse in verse 26. It says, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, the putting off is this first part. In your anger, do not sin. The putting on is the remedy. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Well, what does that mean? All right, let me explain it to you. <laughs> we think sometimes that being angry is a sin. It is not the case. 
You are a human being with emotions. When somebody hurts you, you become angry. That is a natural response of, as a human being. This is why Paul said, look, in your anger, because I know you're going to get angry, but don't sin. Hmm. Well, then how could a person that is angry sin? By the way you deal with it. You explode at somebody. You get into a fight with somebody. You curse somebody. All of the above and more. Then your anger has become a sinful act. Paul says, look, you can get angry. I understand that. Paul was angry all the time. You can just tell in his writings. But don't sin. So that's the putting off. And we can stop with that. And here's what's going to happen. If you stop right there, you're going to swallow your anger, and you're going to become bitter, and you're going to become resentful, and you're going to come, become what the psychologists call passive-aggressive, because you're going to want to get even, and you're going to... Do something, but you know you shouldn't, so you promised God you wouldn't, and you won't. But Paul said, now here's the remedy to that. He said, don't let the sun go down or the day come to an end and you still be angry. Well, what does that mean? He says, go deal with it. Here's a novel idea. Just think about it within a church or a marriage. Man, you get angry. Or, you know, you're angry at your spouse or somebody in church hurts your feelings. Boy, that happens a lot in any church. And rather than backing off and saying, okay, I'm I'm not going to say anything, why don't you say something? But in a loving way. Why don't you, before the end of the day, go to that person before you get really bitter and say, man, I just need to talk to you. You know, when you said such and such, I, I may have taken it wrong, but it really hurt. And I was really angry. And we just need to talk about this. And it may be that it's a misunderstanding. It may be something you need to look at. I don't know. But Paul is saying this. Don't just leave it. Because it will always be there. So you see that process again. You put off, but you've got to put something on. You don't do what's sinful, but you've got to do what's right. And so that's the putting off and the putting on. Now look at this one. This is a good one. Stealing. Holy cow, you mean these believers were stealing? Yeah, they were. Watch this verse. Anyone, verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, this is pretty black and white here. Great example of putting off and putting on. Christian stealing, how were they doing it? Any number of ways. They could have been shady in their business practices. They could have been uh, in, had their hands in the offering plate. They could have been doing all kinds of things. And Paul acknowledges that. And now here's what I want you to see. Not once in all of this passage of Ephesians 4 does Paul ever say to these people who he's enumerating all of these sinful acts, not once does he ever question their salvation. Ooh, Paul never looked at him and said, hey, you're an unbeliever. How can a believer act like you? You're an unbeliever. He never did that. He accepts them as believers based on their profession of faith, knowing as much as he can about them. But he deals with them as believers who are disobedient. And he says to them, you've been stealing, now stop it. That's the putting off. But here's what's going to happen, because if you don't do something productive and positive, you're going to go back to it again. So here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to go get a job if you don't have one. And I want you to set aside money to give to other people. Oh, now watch this. Instead of taking, I'm going to start giving. See, I, I can stop taking, and that's the first part, but if I don't finish this, I'm going to go back. But what if you as a believer start working and start taking money and saying, oh, I'm going to help this person, and I'm going to help that person. You start giving out some of your money. You'll be so far away from thinking about stealing, you'll never do it. Then you've got change. Then you've got transformation. When that person now has begun replacing bad habits with good ones. Now here's another one. Unwholesome talk. And watch this. This is a... Uh, Interesting one. In verse uh, 29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That's the putting off. Just stop it. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The putting off and the putting on. Okay, now watch. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now what does that mean? What is unwholesome talk? Well, it could be anything. We always... Revert back to thinking, well, any time it talks about this, it's talking about cursing and swearing. That certainly would be involved, but in the context, it has to do with the way you talk to other people. He's talking about the way you speak to other people. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth when you're talking to other people. No gossip, no calling names, no poking fun at, none of that stuff that would hurt somebody else. Instead, here's what you do. You only speak to people in a way that encourages them, builds them up, and helps them. All right, now let's take this for a moment and let's say this. You've got a, two Christians and one's always running their mouth. You know how that goes. Always talking. Always talking about how they can't play golf very well. Now we won't go there. <clears throat> One thing or another, and what, what is saying, look, you're, you're tearing this person down. And rather than doing that, why don't you say and do things that are going to build them up? Because once you make that the goal, you'll never have to worry about unwholesome talk because you'll be committed to doing what is right and not what is wrong, and it'll take care of itself. So again, the, the process is completed, the putting off and the putting on. And he goes on to say, I just want to throw this verse in there. Verse 30, the next verse, he says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. What He's just throwing that in saying, I, I just want to re remind you guys that all these sinful things I'm talking about, you're grieving the Spirit. The Spirit of God has sealed you for the day of redemption when you go home to be with Jesus. So you need to stop grieving the Spirit. But here's the last one, okay? In verse 31, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Uh, what is that? Well, that's fighting, bickering, attacking people. I mean, this is rage. This is brawling. Everything other than just being angry at somebody. And then he says this. Instead, here's the putting on in verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. All right. Now, 
you think to yourself, how could a believer be brawling with another believer? How could they be bitter? How could they be full of rage and anger? You ever been to a business meeting in a church? Holy cow, you talk about bitterness and brawling and anger and fighting. My goodness. That's exactly the reason we don't do them. Right there. You understand? People, Christians do this. And it's a, I'm ashamed to say it, but these believers are doing it. Believers today do it. He says this. Now, you know better. So stop doing that. But here's how you deal with it. You start being a kind person. You make up your mind. That person you wanted to go slug over there, be kind to them. Be compassionate. Be understanding. If you are that person, you are not going to be the person that's fighting somebody or brawling or in bitter conflict with somebody. You won't do it. And what happens is you see real transformation take place. Not just, well, I'm going to straighten up my act and it lasts you a few months maybe. If you begin to put the second part to that and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to add to it and I'm going to put on something, then what you're going to see is real change. Now, guys, let me tell you something. You can go through any example. You can, you can think of any situation in your life that you're struggling with right now. And you say to yourself, okay, I need to get rid of that, but what will replace it? Then think it through. Pray about it. Ask for help if you need to. It could be any number of things. But then what is the opposite of what I'm doing? It's not enough to just stop. I've got to go full circle here. And I've got to become somebody else. This is the teaching of Scripture. Where's God in all this throughout the whole thing? He gives you the power. But I've told you before, too many Christians are sitting back waiting for God to zap them with some special unction of power. And God keeps saying, I've already done it. I need you to get up and make a choice. I need you to act. If we just do that in faith, believing that God has already empowered us to do it, you'll see transformation. You really will. You know, you may be here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior or even what it's about. Let me explain something before we close, okay? The Bible says that you are a sinner. You may not like that, but I'm not the one telling you that. God is. God says in his evaluation of you that you're a sinner, and you are. Here's what it says in Scripture, that Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sin, and he took the pain and the guilt and the shame of all of it upon himself. In his death on Calvary and the blood that was shed there covers your sin. Let me show you this verse. It's in John 6:47. Jesus is saying this. He says, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. The one who believes. It's not the one who cleans up his act and promises God something. It's the one who believes. Right there where you sit, why don't you make this decision? Why don't you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. You know, if you're here this morning and you need to put your faith in Christ. Well, do it right here. There's no big fanfare. There's no big thing that has to take place. It's very simple. You make the decision to trust Him. 
you believe what the Bible says. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right here where you sit, just call upon the Lord in faith. I believe, Lord. I'm accepting you. I'm trusting you to save me right now. It's God's promise to you. For all of us that are believers, all of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ, you've got to make a decision. As you evaluate your life, are you happy with the life that you're living? Do you think that God is happy as well? If you can take and point your finger to an area of your life that you have lost control of and that it is shameful and that you would be horrified if anybody knew about it, then you need to change. I've given you the formula, if you call it that, from Scripture. You need to make a decision. You can do that right here, that you're going to change. You see the error of the way? You see the disaster that is caused? I will change right here. And then you give it up. Never again, Lord. Never again. Now, you know you've done that before. It didn't really do much good. But it's going to be different this time because here's the reason why. Not only are you giving up something, you're replacing it with something. Not only, Lord, will I stop being verbally abusive to my wife, but, Lord, I'm going to demonstrate love to her each and every day by the way I talk to her. I'm going to begin to show her love that is just going to overpower her. It's not that I'm going to stop being mean. I'm going to start being kind. I'm going to start being loving. The list could go on and on. What is it? What needs to change? Do it. Make a decision that you're going to live life God's way. And then wait and see what God does for you. Your life will change, I promise. Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you this morning, Father, help us each to do that. There are areas in our lives that if anybody saw it, they'd swear we were an unbeliever. But Father, we know what we ought to do. Now help us to make those changes. Help us to give up the sin and replace it with a godly substitute. Father, help us to begin to transform as we begin to make godly choices. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.